Hi everyone, it's Megan and it's CITR and it's the Arts Report for Wednesday, June 6th. Today on the Arts Report, Songfire Festival, Facing the Animal, and Vancouver Drawdown. It's Arts Report, your weekly fix of arts, news, reviews, interviews on CITR 101.9 and CITR.ca. everyone and welcome to the arts report on CITR 101.9. I am already going to miss you guys. Next week I won't be here. It'll be Ariel Fournier, but this week it's all me and we actually do have some guests in the studio today. I'm going to let them just say hi briefly. You guys want to give everyone a hi? Hi. Hi. Hello. That is um, Zoe Pellet, our uh, volunteer coordinator, who's going to be interviewing some uh, the curator and artist from Facing the Animal, which is happening right now at the Orr Gallery. Um, but more on that uh, in the second half of the show. In the first half of the show, we are going to talk a little bit about Vancouver Drawdown, which is a really exciting event that's happening all over the city. And the Songfire Festival, which is going on right now for the month of June. Um, and we'll talk specifically about um, arts for social change, which is always a very important thing for art to be about. wanted to give you guys a couple of updates. The Yang Fudan Fifth Night Review is up. It is up on CITR.ca uh, on my weekly blog that I've started once again and you can click through to more information about this amazing installation at the Vancouver Art Gallery. It is uh, a multi-channel video installation by Chinese artist Yang Fudong and he's one of the most important and influential artists to emerge in China since the late 1990s and I took a curatorial tour on the 14th um, along with a reporter from the Vancouver Sun, and he wrote a very nice piece, which I linked to, that gives you some information. But I also put a few notes up there uh, about my experience seeing the piece. It is uh, seven screens, all showcasing different angles of the same event. He did it all in one take, and it's this uh, kind of out-of-time, out-of-place series of uh, actions that both interact and are disconnected from one another. And uh, he says a lot about how this represents the place of youth and art in China at this moment. And he also talks about useful versus wasted footage. He talks about um, textures and the idea of the viewer being an editor. And the reason the viewer is an editor is because you just can't look at it all all at once. Um, and you have to choose what you'd like to see and you have to give the story. You have to make up the story. So there are a few more notes online, so please check that out. I have posted it on our Facebook page, which is CITR's Arts Report. Um, the other really interesting thing that's happening, which this uh, fifth night is connected to, is the Again and Again and Again exhibition, which is drawn from the Vancouver Art Gallery's permanent collection. This features local poster art reproductions, ceramic fruit, all the way to Warhol's famous Marilyn Monroe series. Uh, it features uh, faces and houses and anything that you can 
serialize. So the focus of the exhibition is to um, plumb the depths of repetition and serialization and what we can find out about the object and about perception. And and some of them are just really interesting to look at. There's a, a variety of techniques um, and there's a lot of uh, very uh, contemporary style art. Um, I, I want to mention, and I don't mention this in the reviews, so this is just an exclusive for you guys, that that was my first curatorial tour, really, of, of a main big uh, institution, and it really made me think about arts writing and arts media and how, you know, I kind of have a privileged sense of access, and I and I try my best to share that with everyone at home, and I think that's what all writers should be doing. But it was a very weird position to be the only person looking at these uh, paintings and, and to be kind of in this privileged set of information that I'm getting from the curator. Um, also sucks a little bit of the fun out of it, I'm not going to lie, because I love um, being able to think about things on their own and to get this kind of ongoing commentary about what each and every piece of art is about. Um, takes a little bit of the fun away from what, some of which are very silly, fun, contemporary pieces. Um, but, you know, uh, museums and galleries really lend a lot of weight to the artists that are within them. And I appreciate that and really showcase the um, very special place that these artists have found in the institution. But I have to say that it's definitely um, definitely a, a completely different way to look at art. I can't really explain it. But um, I, I would definitely, if you ever get a chance to do a curatorial uh, tour. They're not only reserved for medium. Plenty of places have them, um, especially when a, a place is first opening, a, an exhibition is first opening. And it's, uh, it's a really interesting and informative way to learn about not just the art, but the artistic process, the curatorial process, and um, the promotion process of art. So I would definitely recommend it. So moving on, um, I just wanted to let you guys know that I talked to a couple of people from the UBC Library and Irving K. Barber Learning Center about Aboriginal Unhistory Month, which is going on right now. And I will be doing some coverage on June 20th. But please keep an eye on Facebook for stuff over the f next few weeks while I'm away. Um, you can check out the library.ubc.ca uh, Aboriginal Unhistory Month, Cultivating com conversations for many of the events that are happening over the next few weeks. They include tours, um, art, curation, speeches, and presentations from various members of, for example, the Musqueam peoples, uh, on which UBC rests on their unceded territory. And um, on June 20th, we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that are happening around town. And on June 21st, there will be the official celebration of Natural Aboriginal Day on the 21st. So that'll be a really fun event. One quick announcement before we get into Vancouver Drawdown and following the theme of Aboriginal History Month. Um, he Ice Innovative Dialogue Summit on Strengthening Relations is doing their call for uh, First Nations, urban Aboriginal, immigrant, and non-immigrant youth. Um, they are inviting you to participate in a unique summit June 15th, 16th, and 17th, hosted by Vancouver Dialogues and Citizen U. So this year, uh, the summit will address issues of shared interest, including combating stereotypes and misunderstanding, celebrating cultural diversity, and forging new relationships. And um, the summit name, Hiyahes, uh, means working as a group in, the in one of the language of the Musqueam's people, which unfortunately I could not find the pronunciation of online. <laughs> 
So the stomach, uh, the summit takes place uh, Friday, June fifteenth, four p.m. to eight p.m. at the city hall, um, and then again on Saturday and Sunday at the SFU Morris J. Wask Center for Dialogue. So free registration, but seating is limited. Um, register by June eleventh, and lunch will be provided. So please go to www.dialogues.youthyvr.com. And the reason I'm just sharing this is because, as I said, I like people to be able to participate uh, in the conversations that are going on in the city. And speaking of participation, do you think you can't draw? Uh, Vancouver Drawdown, they want you to think again. Vancouver Drawdown is the annual celebration of drawing and uh, challenges every single Vancouverite, young and old, to uh, stop thinking of yourself as not an artist. If you can make a mark on paper, you can draw. On Saturday, June 9th, so that's this Saturday coming up, uh, over 18 different cultural organizations will host over 27 diverse events. Community centers, museums, art galleries, on the street. You can do everything from a mural to a doodle to a pap- to a 12-foot-high paper tunnel, apparently. I'd like to see that. Uh, arts correspondent Sarah Lapsley uh, spoke with Maria Lopez from the Roundhouse Community Center about Vancouver Drawdown and about all the different... Uh, events and different ways to participate throughout the day, especially the idea of how non-artists, if you consider yourself such, um, can participate. So um, here is Sarah Lapsley speaking to Maria Lopez about this uh, this really interesting Vancouver-wide event. Well, the drawdown's been a long time coming. Um, it was originally inspired by the big draw which is an event in England that has now become a massive organization. It's uh, well, probably 10 or 15 years old, actually, at this point. And it began as an event like this one, museums and art galleries and schools getting together to really promote um, the wider idea of drawing and its relationship to creativity. Drawing is one of those things where... Uh, people seem to think of it as the dividing line between who's an artist and who isn't an artist. Mm-hmm. And there, there are so many people who say, I can't, you know, I'm not an artist, I can't draw. And the, the big draw in England was devoted to their uh, support people and understanding that drawing is part of being alive, it's part of being human, it's how we think, how we plan, how we play, how we spend time together, and that we all draw way more than we realize. And we can enjoy it way more than we do if we just think about it a little bit and uh, explore a little bit. So that was our inspiration, was the big draw in England. Um, They hold drawing events in everything from botanical gardens to contemporary art museums to hospitals. And we started, I guess, uh, four or five years ago, just three organizations. Um, the University of British Columbia Museum of Anthropology, uh, UBC uh, Faculty of Education, and the Vancouver Art Gallery. But we kind of didn't get the momentum really going until two years ago when we began to work with the Park Board Community Centers. So this is now our third year, and we have nine Park Board Community Centers. MOA, the Vancouver Art Gallery, Emily Carr, the Satellite Gallery, the Contemporary Art Gallery. I think there are 18 partners in total. What would you say to the person who feels like, well, I'm not artistic or I can't draw? (laughs) If you sign your name, if you doodle in meetings, if you sketch on napkins to explain things, 
Um, if you flip over a receipt and draw a map when you're trying to explain to somebody how to get to you from downtown, you're drawing. And the pleasure of making marks and using mark making as a way to think or explain or um, leave a mark about who you are or spend time together um, is it's fun, it's interesting, and we all do it all the time. So this event is about exploring the many ways that drawing can be in your life and the many things that it can do for you. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not an artist, I'm not an artist, but I still love to draw. Yeah, and it sounds like it's really going to bring people together in a fun way. Yeah, we'll be doing collaborative drawing at some places, blind contour drawing at others, um, drawing uh, with your opposite hand, drawing with whatever your material is attached to a stick so that you have to uh, uh, control it from a distance, uh, drawing on windows, drawing on sidewalks, drawing each other. It's going to be a really fun day. Thank you very much to Sarah and Maria. A little brief snapshot of uh, what you can expect. Um, as I mentioned, Vancouver Drawdown is happening on uh, Saturday, June the 9th. That's this Saturday across 18 uh, venues. And all the workshops are open, inclusive, and free or free with admission to the venue. And they'll be led by professional artists and those who like to focus on process and pleasure, not just about technical skill. So you can check them out on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash Vancouver Drawdown, on Twitter at Vangdod at Van Drawdown, excuse me, and at www.vancouverdrawdown.com. I think I think probably the best way to describe it is like an organized flash draw mob. Um, some of the uh, venues uh, for the third annual Vancouver Drawdown include Art Starts in Schools, Collage Collage, Contemporary Art Gallery, Emily Carr University in Art of Design, Mountain View Cemetery, Museum of Anthropology, Satellite Gallery, Gold Corp Center for the Arts, the VAG, uh, and then also uh, Parks Board Community Centers, including Chaplin Heights, Creekside, Renfrew, Trout Lake, and the Roundhouse, uh, which Maria works with. Uh, Sarah Lapsley, our correspondent, had a couple of suggestions that she is going to be going to or, or wants to go to. Um, one of them is the Micro Macro Drawing Lab at the Roundhouse, and that's all day, 11 to 4 p.m. at the Roundhouse or at 181 Roundhouse Muse, Vancouver. And it is the Radix Theatre's Micro Macro Drawing Lab, Drawing Lab, which magnifies worlds within worlds, transforming the tiny into the enormous. And then that's free. And then there's the human and animal forms at the Museum of Anthropology, 11 to 4 p.m., right here on UBC campus. And uh, you basically get to use the museum as your inspiration. So the works of Northwest Coast Aboriginal art, uh, for example, and uh, the animal and human forms within that will be led by art educator uh, Damara Jacob Morris. And so that's free with museum admission, which is about 14 to $16 so um yeah that looks like a really interesting event if any of you participate and want to send me a review please email me at arts at citr.ca or just tweet it let all our read, uh, listeners and twitter followers know about how you're participating in this uh, free event now something that's happening all month so it's happening right now is the Songfire festival from the vancouver uh, international song institute 
And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, about the Vancouver International Song Institute, about what an art song is, because I didn't know until I heard about this event. So we're all learning together. Um, But we are going to take a quick break first. And when we return, we can talk about the uh, Songfire Festival. Cinco Cinco Wednesdays at the Cobalt. $5 cover, $5 draft, and $5 highballs. A weekly showcase of up-and-coming bands, artists, and DJs, where the artists get 100% of their ticket sales. For more information, visit thecobalt.ca. Get to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? The Rio Theatre is your independent East Vancouver theatre, playing first-run feature films, independent film screenings, as well as live events. Every Friday night, there are featured midnight cult classics on the big screen. And no one can beat the Rio for their cheap date Tuesdays. This May, movies are back at the Rio. Fridays at 11 p.m., there's no better place to be than at the Rio Theatre for classics such as Battle Royale, Purple Rain, The Dark Crystal, and Jackie Brown. As always, ticket prices are reduced for midnight movies if you arrive in costume, so dress to impress. Special events this month at the Rio include May 16th, open mic night at the Rio with East Fans Got Talent, starting at 8 p.m. Alan Doyle performing live Wednesday, May 23rd, also at 8 p.m. May 30th, get your nerd on with the live Dungeons & Dragons comedy experience. Join Vancouver's best comedic performers the last Wednesday of every month as they quest for glory and snacks in this live, improvised spectacular. Did we mention that movies are back at the Rio? For more information on all this and more, check out theriotheater.ca. The Vancouver Aboriginal Child and Family Services Society. Our mission is to protect and value our children, our future, our responsibility. We invite you to come join our circle of caring. We are seeking caring people in the greater Vancouver and Richmond areas who are willing to share their homes and provide foster care for Aboriginal children in need. Contact us at 604-216-7447 with any questions or visit us at vacfss.com. And we're back on the Arts Report. Uh, We are talking now about the Songfire Festival from the Vancouver International uh, Song Institute. And they are a place where the art song is not only studied and embraced and celebrated, but uh, is allowed a place and a space to blossom. The art song is something that I just learned about and actually, what's funny is there was a, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about song poems from the 1950s and 60s in like middle America, where you could send in these, you know, any lyrics that you had, any poems, um, you know, odes to the president or your dog or your um, family home or whatever you wanted. And they would put music to it with hired musicians. And on one hand, it was a bit of a scam. And on the other hand, it was this amazing treasure trove of Americana. Now, I heard about this a few weeks ago. And then when I learned about the art song, I realized this type of thing has a long, long tradition. Now, every June, the Vancouver International Song Institute opens its doors to everyone who would like to experience the unique celebration of the art song. You have singers, pianists, actors, performers all across North America and the world uh, join forces with local performers to uh, really let people know the wide variety of the art song. But what even is that? 
I believe you are asking if I can read your mind, which I know you can, I can. Uh, over a thousand years of stories, a hundred languages, 12,000 composers means over a hundred thousand of these stunning art songs. And I asked Rena from the Vancouver uh, International Song Institute, director and uh, head of the Songfire Festival, to tell us a little bit about what an art song is. And she's even going to play you a little something. Now, uh, if you're interested in this, we do have a longer version of this interview that I'm going to post online tonight, um, and we'll put it up on our Facebook page, um, and we'll go over a little bit more after we hear from Rena. Please enjoy. So the main piece of art that you guys deal with is the art song? Yeah. It's very simple, sort of succinct um, description is fusion of global poetry with um, music written in the classical western modality and there's over a hundred thousand of these songs and they're in over a hundred languages there's more and more every day they're written all over the world and um are they becoming increasingly popular do you think you know the reason we created this institute is that while composers really enjoy writing them and poets find them very, very interesting, um, it, like it's a really interesting experience to have your words fused to music because it's, it's a little different from lyrics in that you might write a really beautiful tune and create some beautiful words that sort of go with the feelings of your melody, whereas here... The job of the composer who's read this poem is to say, what sounds could I pick that would actually, in music language, mean the same thing as this poem means? I could give you a really fast example of something that would give you a quick fix on at least the role of the piano in these things. That that would be fantastic. I was reading that it is usually a a piano and a single performer. It's most usually a piano and a single performer. but it's often, uh, you could have other instruments playing alongside. There's a lot of stuff for voice and guitar, voice and harp, uh, more than one voice, like duets, quartets, things like that. Those are really incredibly beautiful. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to hear something. Well, I'm not going to play you something beautiful. I'm going to play you something that gives you a sense of the descriptiveness of the thing. Oh, please do. So I'll, I think I'll tell you first. This is a poem by... Goethe, the German, uh, you know, sort of great man of letters, mm-hmm. who um, he wrote, of course, the play Faust. And there's a character in the play, Gretchen, who is a young girl who's been seduced by Faust, who has departed. And he's left her really in terrible straits. Uh, her family is gone, her town is completely ostracizing her, and she's pregnant and she's not married and it's the 18th century (laughs) so it's really bad so she's not in a great place she's in a really really bad place and the thing is there's absolutely no escape you know there's there's, there is nothing she can do to improve her circumstances because there's nowhere to run no one will help her she will be censured by everyone wherever she goes and last week she was this nice young girl just planning her future and very predictably and happily and it's all gone now and he's not coming back, and she's saying, I, if he's not here, it's like I'm in the grave. The only reason I'm alive is for another glimpse of him. 
and she makes her living uh, at the spinning wheel. So this song is called Gretchen at the Spinning Wheel. And when you hear the piano part, you know right away that it's describing the spinning wheel. But you also, as you start listening, you realize it's the spinning wheel is also metaphorically her mind, which is just spinning and spinning on its own axis, and it can't go anywhere, no escape, can't breathe, can't function. You're going to go crazy sooner or later. And you can hear her heartbeat in the left hand of the piano just thumping away. And you hear the music sort of getting more and more and less desperate, but it's relentless. The reason I'm saying all of that is we tend to think of songs as nice and pretty, but in this genre, it's the most important thing is that they're true. It's a, it's about communication and connection yeah. and authentic, authentic representation of a of a piece of the human condition, a moment in a in somebody's life where it, they're living it as intensely as possible. So if it's not a good moment, if it's a tragic moment, we have to hear that. And we have to feel it. So I'll just give you a little sense of what that could sound like in this particular poem. On top of that is a soprano singing, and she's telling you that her heart is broken and she is desperate to see him again. So are these things that were originally intended to be these no. art songs, no. but or they've been they've been turned into pieces yeah. later? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, you know, it, there's a... Um, it's like using found objects. Found yeah. It, it's a little, bit, a little bit of a mixed answer because depending on when these poems were written and the traditions of the time. Like, poetry in the late 18th century in Germany, a lot of it, the poets did think, well, sooner or later someone will set this to music. Uh, Goethe definitely thought that people, that definitely wrote some of his poetry to be set to music. Now, what I love is that a composer thinks in music. So you could almost say when he reads the poem, he immediately hears these sounds. They're like synonyms for him. Can you give me a, a really brief description of the Institute's kind of purpose and organization? Okay. The, the purpose is to create a sustainable future for this art form because it's, um, while it's really, really beautiful and intense and passionate and it's you know, it spans 2,000 years of poetry from all over the world. Um, people don't know much about it, and audiences aren't showing up to concerts. So I started doing research quite a while ago about why that would be so, and I found some really interesting answers from audiences. So our institute is dedicated to making some changes in the way uh, art song is perceived and the way it's performed, to some extent, uh, so as to build a whole new future for um, the art form, its new generation of performers, and audiences who really, you know, when you get the components right, audiences love it. They're just bowled over by how beautiful it is. 
So that was Rena telling us a little bit about the basics of the art song. And uh, we go on to talk about quite a bit. And I, as I said, I'll, I'll post that online. I mean, this is something that is really going to appeal to you if you love classical music, classical poetry, um, or if you are interested in um, learning more about the history of an art form. Um, so far, they've had... Uh, Talk, uh, Aslan Hunter talk about how to read a poem and Rebecca Platt who is a classical singer brought recordings of how art songs were sung over 100 to 150 years ago apparently quite different so it's also a bit of an education in how arts develop especially when they kind of disappear and reemerge how we reinterpret them in a modern way so you can google those guys um, and uh, the as I mentioned, the purpose of the Institute and this festival is to bring performers together um, with listeners. Um, there are workshops, lectures, multimedia events, and over 25 concerts. Um, for example, Rena mentioned uh, to me separately that there are workshops people can participate in where they just literally watch um, a master coach some of the students that have applied and kind of watch the works develop, which I find fascinating. We also talked about the arts of conscience uh, from June 11th to June 15th, and this is an art series, so song, film, and performance, that addresses art's role in well-being, be that physical, emotional, or psychological. Um, and that you can find that specifically on artsofconscience.ca because they are working with other partners like um, the Vancouver International Film Festival, Van City Theatre. And it's a series of thought-provoking lectures um, by directors in art activism, including people like David Diamond, who we've talked to on the show before, um, who does Headlines Theatre. And it's just looking at how art is creating social change on the world stage this year in particular. Um, they're looking at wellness and... Um, there are some other uh, events that are happening as well. On Wednesday, June 13th, um, at UBC's Chan Center, uh, Sir Thomas Allen, uh, a baritone, is in concert with uh, pianist Joseph Middleton. And apparently, um, he is uh, a master of the art song genre. And I am going to play, um, in a moment, uh, one of his pieces. Then on Friday, June 22nd at uh, UBC's Chan Center as well, the Telus Theatre, they will be celebrating the 150th anniversary of Cla uh, Claude Debussy. And uh, they're going to do a French art song cabaret um, as well. Uh, so there's going to be performance, song, readings, um, you know, eat, drink. You can, uh, it's going to be a really fun, festive atmosphere. And then on June 24th at the Waterfront Theatre, there's going to be an art song theatre premiere. So it's the first time they've done something like this. And it's going to be a Canadian maritime mystery told through song and theatre and a screaming mad Lady Macbeth, which is really, I think, the best type of Lady Macbeth. Um, so please uh, check them out um, at artsofconscience.ca and um, songfire.ca on uh, the website for the Vancouver International Song Institute. And I'm going to play you a little uh, bit of uh, Sir Thomas Allen singing. And as I mentioned, um, this particular piece is an example of the more classical style. You know, it's operatic. Um, it is... Uh, he, uh, Sir Thomas Allen singing uh, Ralph Vaughan Williams' song to the poem by Dante Gabriel Rossetti, Silent Noon, uh, about lounging in the uh, soft long grass after a hot 
summer uh, on a hot summer day with the person you love most in the world um but there aren't just classical there are all sorts of pieces so please uh check them out so we're gonna play a, a brief clip of this and then we are going to um take a break and we are going to then talk to uh facing the animal artist and curator and we will uh talk about this amazing show at the Or Gallery. We'll talk about animals. We'll talk about art. Uh, and I believe we may listen to some songs from uh, one of Julie's, the artist's uh, art companions. One of her little puppies. I know. It's going to be uh, really, really interesting. And, and uh, Zoe from CITR has lots of great questions for them. So please stick around. Here is Thomas Allen, Silent Noon. i 
What kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. Join me, your host, Andy Longhurst, every Tuesday at 5 p.m. for The City, an hour dedicated to critical discussions of urban issues. On CITR 101.9 FM and streaming live at citr.ca. For more information, visit the show's website at thecityfm.wordpress.com. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Commercial Drive area at Audiopile, Bone Rattle Music, High Life Records, and the People's Co-op Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. And we are back on the Arts Report. Uh, that was oh, you, you listened to Sir Thomas Allen um, playing, uh, singing Silent Noon. And then you listened to some ads because we like to promote our shows and ourselves. It's part of the deal, you guys. Um, we have uh, local artist Julie Andreev here, uh, as well as uh, the cur- uh, who does uh, Animal Lover in the Facing the Animal exhibition. Uh, on right now at the Orr Gallery from May 25th to June 29th. It also features Marianne Barkhouse um, and Bill Burns uh, at the Orr Gallery on Hamilton Street, 555 Hamilton Street. Um, The works in this exhibition ask uh, what facing the animal means in contemporary art. Uses the imagery of wolves and their domesticated descendants as subjects. The artist challenge the artists challenge dualities of the human animal and the culture nature in favor of more complex and nuanced interactions. So Animal Lover Series is an interspecies collaboration with her two dogs, Tom and Sugi. And it also includes a video installation and a newly compiled YouTube video collection from the dog's blog, www.tomandsugi.com. Everyone has a blog now. And uh, I think why not dogs? Facing the Animal is currently showing at the Or Gallery, and three of the blog videos, Shit Dogs Say, Dog Dreams, and Dog Walking Dog, follows the daily lives of Tom and Sugi, their behaviors, and their social lives. And Julie is a Vancouver-based artist um, who explores animal creativity and expression through interspecies collaboration. Um, she has worked uh, in show. Her work has been shown across Canada, the U.S., and Japan. Vancouver Art Gallery uh, during the Vancouver 2010 Cultural Olympiads, um, Japan Media Arts Festival, um, and on and on and on. So, uh, for more information, just go to animalallover.com, or of course, follow Tom and Sugi on Twitter at Tom underscore and underscore Sugi. Um, we have uh, Zoe Pallid in studio with the curator of the work, uh, the Facing the Animal exhibition, and uh, Julie, the, uh, the artist of Animal Lover. And Zoe is going to ask a few questions, and we are going to discuss um, the role of the animal in art um, and artistic and animal-based values. And much more for the last 20 minutes of the arts report so welcome everyone and zoe please take it away thank you very much um the first thing i would really like to start with megan provided a little bit of 
um, background on Julie, your practice, um, and your experience. So Tara, um, could you introduce yourself and speak a bit about your background, um, where you come from, and how you found yourself here? Thanks Zoe, and thanks Megan for having us on. Um, my name is Tara Hogue, and I'm a second year student in the master's program of critical curatorial studies here at UBC. And uh, where I'm from, I'm from Alberta, and I've been in Vancouver for about three years. And since I've moved here, I opened a studio gallery in Vancouver's downtown east side called the GAM Gallery, and you can find us on the web at gamgallery.com, G-A-M. And then I started the curatorial program a couple of years ago, and the rest is history. Great. Um, obviously, animals are very significant in your life, as evidenced by the subject choice for your graduate exhibition. Um, so could you speak to the role of animals in general um, in your studies over the past few years? How have they introduced your degree, and what was the process like determining this specific subject matter? Um, for facing the animal? Hmm. Well, I suppose I didn't actually start with the animal necessarily, or with animals, but I have had a long-standing interest in questions about the nature of being, or ontology, and a lot of the writing in traditional philosophy, for example, uh, around this question is very human-centric and very static, and so I came... I came to the animal from that. And also, um, in learning about my heritage as a Métis person and studying First Nations contemporary artists, I knew that there was an, an alternative way to approach this question. And for the exhibition, um, the exhibition itself really started with the work of uh, Marianne Barkhaus, who uh, I traveled to Winnipeg last May to see her work in an exhibition called Close Encounters. And uh, Marianne's practice revolves uh, solely around animals, and I wanted that aspect to carry over into the rest of the exhibition. Um, for one, because of budget and space constraints. But on the other side, I also thought that working with artists that focus solely or mainly on animals would be a way to have an intensity of focus in the exhibition. So that's how it started. Uh, and how did you end up connecting with Julie and Bill to mm -hmm. participate in the exhibition as well? Well, the process of getting ready for this exhibition has taken about a year and I have done a lot of different research towards the show and uh, I found Julie online at first, and she actually did a symposium this past year at Emily Carr University, where she also teaches, called Animal Influence, which was part of uh, a series of conferences called Interactive Futures. And this specific one was um, featured a lot of contemporary artists that worked with new media and animals. So that helped uh, introduced me to Julie's work and also helped me to get in her brain about how she thinks about animals. So that was a really great experience. And um, similarly, I found Bill's work online, searching through pages and pages of, of animal exhibitions, which there are actually a lot of so these days. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Um, so speaking of Julie, I would like to move over to you now. You have a, a very unique angle in this exhibition as you are the only participating artist who collaborated with your wonderful dogs. Uh, so could you talk a bit about how long you have been working with Tom and Sugi um, and what did you hope to explore um, specifically with that piece within this exhibition? Um, well, thanks for that question, and, and thanks, Megan, for, for um, inviting us on. I think this is really exciting to be talking about this topic. My pleasure. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, well, I've been working with um, um, the idea of interspecies collaboration since um, about 2008, and uh, more recently I've been um, you know, doing a lot of work with my two dogs, although that's not the, you know, the only um, sort of um, avenue I pursue, but... Um, with this particular show, I was um, wanting to uh, kind of combine um, different um, works that, that I have produced. One of them is a, a work from uh, 2009 called Aria, which is a sort of a, a large um, installation um, projection, actually, with a, a, has an operatic kind of um, thematic to it where my dog Tom sings, and he sings about his love of the landscape, actually very similar to the to the piece that Megan played earlier, um, uh, the the uh, the art song, um, but also with um, just thinking about the everyday life and and relationships with um, with the non-human animal, um, I think the the companion species rela relationship really offers a kind of um, opportunity for rethinking how humans. Um, um, well, relate to to the non-human world, and um, you know, like Tara, I'm interested in thinking about um, ways of expanding um, the human-centric kind of um, um, modes of, or, of perception. So, so by by examining how the, the the dogs in this case sort of negotiate everyday life in their relationships with me and the world. Um, I created a, a sort of a small series of, of works, as Megan mentioned, one of them is Shit Dogs Say, um, that, you know, looks at their relationships with, with each other and with me and um, how they just um, participate in their daily lives. And due, due to the fact that a lot of reading of contemporary art is human-centric, have you ever received you know, responses to these works with the dogs in which people are confused or not really sure what's going on, they think it's a little bit strange, anything along those lines? Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a great question that um and really that's that's at the heart of my my interest really is to have um to kind of challenge, I guess, notions about about what art is and about what how we think of animals. So I mean Primarily in, in you know contemporary culture, we think of animals as as objects, um, mostly for consumption, um, animal products and animals themselves for for consumptions, and including relationships with pets as this kind of ownership relationship. So what I'm really interested in is is putting the depicting the animal, representing the animal as subject. So. What is their what is their unique way of being in the world and finding ways as an art practitioner to find modes of representation that can um, that people can access that we're familiar with, such as video and, and song, 
um, and having the the dogs um, speak about their their unique relationship to the world. So, for example, their their unique sensory um, engagement through smell, um, scent, listening, and so on. That and how that can be. Um, how that can be represented. So I, I think it is a challenge in a sense, and that's that's you know somewhat of the ex- uh, objective of of the work. I believe we actually have a sample of that piece that we're going to play for everyone. Sure. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. Yeah. Um, so this is Aria, um, and it's a, it's about eleven minutes. You can find it on Vimeo. Um, and uh, I would you like me to skip forward to that point that we discussed earlier? Sure. Why, why don't I? Yeah, because it's quite long. So, just to give you a little bit of a context, um, it's based on a kind of operatic form, which is the aria, which is usually a, a, a solo performer accompanied by some kind of musical um, accompaniment. Um, so, in this case, um, the you know it's a video. It's not just a song, but the the video shows the the two dogs enjoying the landscape of Banff National Park and at a certain point midways through the through the video Tom my dog comes out and sings about his enjoyment of of the landscape um so just um you know I can speak about this afterwards but there's um all of the sounds within the the song are actually created from Tom's voice he he sings he sort of recites his poem and then I set that to to music mm-hmm. okay well we are let's hear a little bit about uh, from which sorry who is singing is it Tom or Tom Tiki? and it's called Aria men always taking the spotlight <laughs> <laughs> A little bit haunting. <laughs> I like that though. The background, all those like that's all reconstructed from his actual uh, voice. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> the process involves um, kind of working in a in a sort of aleatoric way, where I, you know, set up a situation and then just see what happens, and then work with the material. So in this case, um, asking Tom to vocalize in a recording studio. And then, you know, going through hours worth of vocalizations and picking out sort of melodic phrases and then putting those together into chains of, of melody and, and, you know, phrase, chorus, um, various sorts of ways of constructing song cycles. So, yes, all of the, the background is constructed from phrases f- that he sung. The part that you heard is pretty much un, unaltered. The you know his his vocalizations in that instance are are straight. And it, uh, one of the things you're talking about is um, you know how this relates to art itself. And I was thinking about how you have to interpret how animals are communicating with you um, 
And some people might say, well, how do you know? And, and you know, you're, but I mean, it's very similar with art, right? Like someone produces something and you can interpret it. But um, we have the ability, obviously, to explain ourselves. But even then, once you've created an object, you have this interpretation process that's happening. So do you find that you're interpreting your dogs as someone might a piece of art? Well, I think, I think there's two things at work. There's, um, first of all, in, in companion species relationships, I think anyone who lives with an animal will testify to the fact that they do understand what the animal is communicating mm-hmm. and maybe vice versa. Um, but then on the other hand, there's, there obviously is a construction at work here where um, we're um, finding modes that are, you know, within art practice, such as the landscape, the figure in the landscape, the, the, the song, um, and using those modes and contextualizing the animal within those, those types of representations. So it is interpretive in the sense that um, setting up a situation where it can be received in cultural forms that we're used to, but then challenging that with the fig- the subject of the animal. Mm. Um, I'd like to jump back to something that Tara actually mentioned um, earlier on in that she discovered there were many, many animal exhibitions <laughs> when she was doing her preliminary research um, for her own show. And that's very true. There are several artists... Um, who are using animals both dead and alive within their practices to investigate this very, very broad subject of human and animal relationships. Mm -hmm. Just recently, uh, the Dutch artist Bart Jensen taxidermied his pet cat Orville after it was hit by a car. It's been blowing up the Twitter. It's been blowing up the Twitter (laughs) and the YouTube. everywhere. (laughs) Um, Natalie Aidenmont is an artist that has fascinated me for a while she um, separates parts from dead animals and then reattaches them onto human objects such as vases so just two examples of, of artists who incorporate animals so what uh, what do we think is the overarching appeal in in using art as an effective medium to to explore these relationships and on that subject is it an effective medium to explore the human-animal relationships? Well, I think, uh, for me, I would argue <laughs> that the artists that you give as as an example are uh, looking at animals in a very specific way. I know you're doing a piece on taxidermy at the moment. Um, but in relation to Julie's work especially, I think uh, fits the bill on this description in that art is arguably um, a part of our animal heritage as opposed to something that separates us from the animal um, in its connection to like uh, some form of higher intellect. Art, uh, art if, if we look at art as something that produces sensation and if we think about um, Darwin's theory of sexual selection as being an example of something that is excessive in the world and for enjoyment rather than just for survival, uh, then I think that gives us a bit of a new perspective on art. And also in relation to all of the exhibitions that have been happening more and more rapidly around the animal, for example, there's one, there's an exhibition up at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Montreal right now called Zoo uh, that has a lot of uh, well-known contemporary Canadian artists um, 
working with the animal or not working with the animal, uh, specifically in imagery, um, it shows us that I think that it's an issue more and more that we can't help but dealing with. And even within academia, the the growing popularity of posthumanist literature is a really important part in this. Uh, and it's, I think, reflective of a larger shift in consciousness that we're going through right now. So I was just going to mention, like, and maybe to paraphrase a little bit, the yeah. idea of, of shifting ideas and how humans, um, people re- relate to each other and the responsibilities and the structures around uh, human relations um, that the non-human relation becomes more interesting because what is a human well a lot of times how people explore what one thing is and you find this across all disciplines is well what isn't it Mm -hmm. and a lot of people would say well it isn't an animal but of course it isn't um that doesn't make sense because humans are animals too so i can see the the relation between a crisis or changes in interpersonal and interhuman relationships spilling out or being expressed through our interspecies relationships. Definitely. And the more seriously you take animal subjectivity, the more you come to realize that the defining line between human and animal is totally untenable. (laughs) I do also like the idea of having a little bit of fun in art. Um, I I was mentioning a little bit earlier, but when I was doing... The, the contemporary art um, is so theoretical based and obviously there's beautiful aesthetics involved in many situations but a lot of it comes from the idea and exploring ideas mm-hmm. through physical art or through performance and I think that's amazing a lot of times the way you hear it ex- described um, is can be very intellectual which I love but um, there's nothing like throwing a couple puppies in there to really <laughs> Bring the room to life, yeah. if I may say so. If shit, dog, if shit dogs say isn't funny, then I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, you should check that out. Um, and for anyone who's listening that's not familiar, uh, we're talking about a lot of stuff that's been on the internet. Um, you may have heard of it. Um, and there's obviously <laughs> maybe, maybe. a long, a long uh, kind of for the internet, a long running meme of of shit quote-unquote people say and it's everything it's uh, yeah, anything you can think of. Um, so it's it's fun to have the dogs in there as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, we are uh, approaching the end of our hour, um, is, but we have a, a few minutes. There's no Discord or radio today, unfortunately. We will miss them very much. But um, And so we have uh, another half hour until we have uh, Shameless with Jonathan B. So uh, if you guys wanted to uh, maybe ask one more question, and, and you definitely have a chance to plug any other interesting events that are happening around the city. Um, for example, I know Bill Burns does have another event going on right now as well, so we can talk a little bit about that before we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, Bill's work uh, that's featured in the exhibition is from his Dogs, Boats, and Airplanes series, and that involves a number of different aspects that all tie into the series including um, a series of sort of souvenir type snapshots there's a salt and pepper shaker collection and a children's choir that sing to the tune of dogs boats and airplanes so bill will be in the gallery tomorrow night at 7 p.m to talk about this series and also to launch the vinyl lp of the dogs uh, boats airplanes <laughs> choir sorry <laughs> and uh we'll also have some books on hand from the series for sale so 
Can I make a plug too? Oh, please do. I um, want I want to thank uh, Tara for um, just. Uh, bringing up the the conference that my colleague um, Carol Gigliotti curated um, along with myself uh, called Interactive Futures 11 Animal Influence. And um, in case you haven't checked out the online magazine Antenna, um, the proceedings from the conference and articles um, and essays from the the conference and exhibition will be featured in Antenna. It's antenna.org in June at the end of June, and then there'll be a subsequent um, issue in September. Great. And on on the subject of articles, um, the exhibition review for Facing the Animal will be um, published on White Hot Magazine in the beginning of July in their online edition, Um, and then there will be a portion of it published in SADMAG in their Vanimo edition, which is going to print at the end of July. Yeah, it will be released uh, July 22nd. And there will be a um, a whole thing surrounding that, which hopefully hopefully Tara and Julie will join us as guests, if not participate in the event. So it all ties together the arts in Vancouver. Um, I want to thank you guys very much for joining us for uh, the second half of the Arts Report. I love having um, artists in studio. I hope you'll sign our guest book on the way out. Um, Thank you, Megan. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming and come back anytime. All right. Thanks. All right, that is the arts report for today. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I would like to thank everyone who participated in the show today. Um, we have Julie Andreev and Tara Hope for facing the uh, sorry Hope uh, for facing the animal with Zoe Pellet uh, from CITR, Rena Sharma from the Vancouver International Song Institute. Sarah Lapsley, who interviewed Maria Lopez from the Roundhouse Community Center. And, of course, you for listening. Please check out our Facebook um, for additional content relating to today's uh, show. A little more about uh, art songs, etc. You can follow us on Twitter, CITR underscore The Arts Report. Facebook, Arts Report on CITR. There is no Discord or radio today, so I am happy to bring you the Needles and Pins full album. Have a great day.